1: Hello movie freaks, and thank you so much for downloading or streaming the 128th Rip Roaring Slam Dunk of the Sports Movie Podcast known as Scoring at the Movies. The events of this film, the lives of the most famous person in it, are quite well known. But still, heads up, we'll be spoiling more than a game, from its tall nose to its very big toes. I'm the pretty good outside shooter who could probably dunk on that little net LeBron James had as a kid. Maybe. Ryan Ellis. And here's the court runner who watches far more basketball than I do and is thus a far better authority on the greatest score in NBA history, King Chris DiGregorio, LeBron James. Well,
0: <laughs> oh, I've been upgraded from Lord Chris to King Chris for this King podcast. King Chris, King LeBron, King Gosh. James, I guess, really. I like that. Well, thanks, Ryan. You no, know, I had a hell of a time finding a parking spot up front for my new, totally legitimately purchased Hummer, but found a way. I've never felt more connected to the subject of a documentary than I did with watching this because... If anyone knows the plight of celebrity that young LeBron James had to go through in his senior high school year, it's you and I and the mm-hmm. fame that podcast has bestowed upon us. <laughs> Even in our high school days, before the <laughs> podcast, I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah, it's too much. I was too famous. Open your beverages. We'll get that right away Go on here. So, yeah, it's my very mediocre, non-alcoholic pale ale. Much like LeBron and his classmates, I've been inspired to become a more athletic Chris oh, okay. in my mid-40s. Drink my water. We're doing this mid-afternoon on a Saturday, so I just have water. I just have to get this out of my fridge. It's been sitting there for no. so bloody long, and I can't look at it anymore. I need something cold and refreshing, because it's really warm for an April afternoon. It is. it has been warm all week here in southern
1: Ontario. By the time we post this, God knows it's going to be snowing again. It'll be April the 27th when we post it. Little boy. Yeah. Oh, back to that thing about the gift if you will. Oh yeah, yeah. What do you think LeBron James or his representative said to get him unsuspended? He talked about appealing and it worked to Is the, the judge. judge. But what did he say because if she took a gift or he took a gift and gave it to his mom, which we've said before, we get it. We don't hold this against these guys. You and I basically agree about performance enhancing drugs too, not the issue here, but yeah. so many people are you take drugs, you're bad. You take a gift from a donor in college or high school, you're bad. It's not that simple.
0: Right. What do you think he said though to get out of it? Like you said, I've been a basketball fan since basically the early Jordan-era Bulls got me into basketball, so I've been following the league for years, and particularly in this era, because A, the Raptors were bad in one Yeah, they had a chance of getting the first overall pick, and I was paying oh. a lot of attention to LeBron. <laughs> we ended up getting the fourth pick, we got Chris Bosh, a great player yep. in his own right. Who but, later played with LeBron James. Yeah, that was a real burr in my Raptors fan <laughs> saddle, but... Anyway, so I was paying a lot of attention to young LeBron when all this was going on. I remember vividly all of this stuff about the Hummer, about the jerseys, about all the gift allegations and stuff. My attitude has changed over the years. The more I've learned about student-athletes, particularly in university, obviously, because the number of high school student-athletes that could really demand the attention and the gifts and the money that a LeBron James commanded, much more rare. And I think they talk about that in this documentary, right? Like the governing body of Ohio basketball at a high school or whatever was not prepared to deal with this and when you saw the old white dude and actually I don't think it was a racial thing I think it was an old white guy who was like this kid's too big for his britches the letter of the law says this so I'm gonna bring the hammer down but honestly who cares it's a little bit harder for me to parse high school versus university by the time an athlete's in university you know they have a reasonable chance, if they're a really high-performing athlete at university, there's at least a chance they might get drafted professionally. They're already making a boatload of money for the university itself. They're closer to being an adult than they were in high school. Well, yeah, they're probably all, or the vast majority of them, at least 18 years old. I mean, they could go to war. They may as well get paid to play sports, right? Mm -hmm. I can see the arguments being made for high school athletes. They're still kids. They're too impressionable. You want them to get the education. You don't want there to be a lot of boosters pumping money at them. I get all of that. But when you have a LeBron James and he's garnered that much attention, A, it's good for the sport. LeBron himself seems to be, for his age anyway, a very grounded young man. Yeah. I think he did make some mistakes in accepting some of these things. I'm sure if you asked 40-year-old LeBron, would you accept these things again? He'd probably say, no, I'd just wait another six months and then I'm going to be filthy rich anyway. <laughs> right. yeah. But you know it's hard when you're growing up in subsidized housing and people push all these gifts at you. One of the guys talks about not having enough to eat when he was a kid. Sometimes exactly well, it wasn't him. I don't think it was somebody else. But yeah, still. I think that might have been Willie or somebody like that. But yeah, the point stands because they were all in similar circumstances. I think my answer to this, by the way, is the finger thing means
1: the money. Yeah, I think somebody either went to that judge or the judge himself realized because I assume it was him and had to overturn his own suspension. This is bad for Ohio basketball. Yeah, especially that's at this what level. It was. So, okay, fine, it's different, wink, wink, because of how important he is. If it was Drew Joyce, if it was William McGee, they probably don't overturn the whole thing. Oh, I agree. I think they only got
0: overturned because it was LeBron. I'm not against that, by the way. I understand why that happens. This is part of why this issue is complex. It is complex, yeah. And we can't know specifically what the reasons were that the judge made this ruling, but it did seem draconian and overkill, knowing that this was LeBron's senior year, knowing what the team was playing for not just LeBron's senior year, I guess all of their senior years, and suspending him for the remainder of the year over the jerseys, of all things. That was part of the ridiculousness of all of it. People were looking at all these other things, all this other wealth, the cell phones, right? The Hummer, obviously. Really? His mom got that loan? All right, whatever. But then the jerseys, and that's why you suspend, suspend him for a game, try to uphold the letter of the law. But it is a really interesting argument, or at least debate to have, about this whole thing because it involves much younger kids theoretically potentially than those college-age athletes where i think we can all agree give them the damn money that they're earning or at least a portion of it so that they don't have to live in poverty while the universities are raking in hundreds of millions of dollars right. off of their backs the rights likeness stuff that they get now absolutely fantastic i think that's great for them
1: we've talked about this and in- like blue chips almost have come up and other oh, for sure. college sports about how we think the way that they get punished, but the people that actually are the ones saying, here's the watch, here's the car, here's the literal
0: money gift. That's right. The new house. Nothing happens to them. No, as far as we're aware, nothing absolutely happens mm-hmm. to them. And I'm sure for every one athlete that gets caught in those situations, mm-hmm. there's probably nine or 10 others that the boosters yeah. are also paying off some gifts. or and We never find you. out. We never find out. It's kind of like the legalization of marijuana argument or even the sex work argument these are things that we know are happening bring it above board make it legal regulate it make everybody safer for it and if your stated objective is to protect these young men and women right high school or college yeah then bring it into the light right and then we can all see what's happening and if anything untoward's happening at least that person involved can be protected when it's all underground right it's all these cash gifts and all that kind of stuff how do you protect people? I think
1: the big part of this is that the people in power benefit from it too. Of course, much it is. like yeah. the things you
0: just mentioned—drugs and sex work. The second that these student athletes at the university level started getting their likeness rights, control of that and stuff, then the universities were no longer the ones to license that stuff out to video games, to magazines, and that's money out of their pockets and the finger gesture means the money, right. right? And ultimately that's what it's going to come down to. By the way,
1: when they show LeBron as a 16, 17 year old, whatever age he was. Yeah. He looks like a grown man already. And he's barely able to drive legally. Maybe he wasn't oh, no. at that point able to drive legally. Yeah. He is 6 foot 9 now. He must have been around 6 foot 9 then. But look how mature he was. And also, when you see him as a little kid, oh, my God, was he cute. He's a good-looking man now. He's so adorable. I wanted to hug him so hard when I saw that one great big smile on his face. He was cute as hell.
0: Christmas picture or something like that. He was so adorable. That specific thought popped into my head at that point in the documentary. Little LeBron was cute as all get-out. It's amazing. But you're right. And that was, I think, everybody's impression, but specifically also my impression watching LeBron... In his last St. Vincent, St. Mary's days, and when he was playing his first games with Cleveland, he was 18 at that point, but you're right, go back 17, 16. Looks like he's 25, at least. He looks like a man, right? And Especially when you compare him to some of the other people that you see on his team and on the court against him, they look like what you would expect a 16-year-old to look like. Kind of lanky, very skinny, especially Drew. Good Lord, that kid Mm -hmm. had like zero body fat on him. Looked him up, by the way they show how short he is
1: yeah Muggsy Bogues, well even Muggsy Bogues is taller than he was then maybe it's alive and on Wikipedia says he's six feet so either he had a really late growth spurt yeah true yeah, yeah. but that's what it says I looked up the other guys I couldn't find their information on Wikipedia before he came over LeBron of course is on there you can click on his name and sure you can click on Drew Joyce the third yeah but if he grew to be six feet if that's true that is a long time after he should have had all of his growing done that he got another big spurt because he looks like he's Four foot eleven or something like that. Don't they say that? Four foot eleven?
0: Yeah, they say he's about four, 10, four, eleven. But when they say that, I think that was the early stages when they were looking at the grade eight team or something. So he's okay. probably thirteen, fourteen. And I guess he point. stands next to LeBron, he's going to look short, even if he's yeah. your height, because you're five inches shorter than LeBron. Exactly. Than yeah, yeah. Are you six four? I'm six four. Okay, yeah, you're five inches shorter than LeBron is. From a guessing how tall Drew actually was perspective in this, I think it is hard because he's always standing next to LeBron or even those other guys. They're all like, tall. Yeah, Scion, the center guy, and, and Shion. I think it's pronounced Shion. Shion. Shion? Yeah. Okay, Shion. It wouldn't surprise me that he was six feet tall. It also wouldn't surprise me if he was really like five ten. And mm-hmm. it was. You know, I'm surprised he's that tall though, if he actually is, yeah. because of how short he looks like he is. And they say he's less than five feet. I was six four, I think. <laughs> kind of i think by the age of like 13 i was 6 4 and then mm. i basically stopped growing oh okay
1: i got to be 5 7 when i was around the same age and stopped
0: <laughs> we hit our peaks i i 5 and a half. and
1: a half according to the doctor i went to the doctor a few months ago they weighed me to measure me i won't tell you the first measurement the second one was 5 7 and maybe a half <laughs> so
0: wait are you growing <laughs>
1: i guess i 40s? was slightly wrong before i must have thought it. maybe i was 5 8 many years ago i don't know
0: much like your hairline is getting more impressive with age <laughs> you're also growing it's taller creeping ahead yeah. i'm
1: 49 i still have well, most of my hair anyway apparently it's a little thin on the top i can't tell i probably should introduce this we've been talking for a while but yep. more than a game was released by lionsgate on october 2nd 2009 a non-michael moore or penguins documentary that makes nearly a million dollars can feel pretty good about itself Rotten Tomatoes wise, 71% of critics like the film, only 71. thought it would be more than that. 6.4 to 10 is the average, so okay. barely a fresh tomato as far as their average goes. And there's 51 reviews on the site, but 86% of audiences. This is definitely an audience movie, but again, I'm surprised the critics didn't really think of it was all that great. I think it's a hell of a good documentary. Tremendous footage. The good access. footage, yeah. It was 200th at the 2009 U.S. box office. The Blind Side was number 9. We will not end up covering that. I thought maybe we would. I watched that a year or two ago, but I definitely wasn't watching the first minute or so when they show. Joe Theismann's Broken Leg. I've never seen that since the first time I saw it. I'm never watching it again. That's gruesome. And Invictus, which we did cover in 2009, well, we covered it from 2009, was 78th. This was nominated for four different documentary awards, including at TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival, but didn't win any of those four awards. It was nominated for the Black Reel Award for Best Documentary, Good Hair, the Chris Rock one. Of course, the irony about the whole comment about Jada Pinkett Smith is that he made a documentary called Good Hair. That one, and I liked that movie quite a bit, but over this and over the Michael Jackson documentary, which I remember seeing and liking a lot, despite Michael Jackson, This Is It, they both lost to Good Hair. I would have given it to either More Than a Game or probably This Is It.
0: I don't think I've seen either of those other documentaries, so I can't comment, but I thought this was a good documentary. I already knew so much. I didn't know basically anything about LeBron's teammates. I'll give this movie that. Part of what I didn't love about it was, A, I wanted a little bit more about LeBron's youth pre-basketball stuff a little bit more of his story about his mother's story we get a little bit of that obviously but we don't get a ton
1: i think that what happened was christopher bellman who directed this yeah and i give him a lot of credit for this although maybe you're right maybe there could have been more footage but he wanted to make a balanced movie and i don't think considering how big a name this guy is was when they made it over 10 years ago almost 14 years ago i guess or now that they slanted it too much in his favor and it would have been so easy and so reasonable to do that because the other guys are not well known by anybody the way that he is but the movie is balanced
0: the way that they break down the narrative of the documentary, it's basically player-by-player, player, well, coach at times, but mostly player-by-player, yeah. player, their family circumstance. One quick thing, yeah. my nutshell, which I'll give you later
1: on, but it was going to be, well, there's this coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Early on, especially, we got a lot of Drew Joyce second talking about himself. We really
0: himself. did. There was a part of me that recognized what the director was doing, and I respected that approach, wanting it to be about the team and trying to make it balance with that perspective. But then, as a basketball fan, I know le- all
1: le- these things about him, though. I want well, no they- more.
0: Exactly, the little we got about LeBron, I already kind of knew, and I was watching, I was hoping to get a little more insight about the community element of his life that I wasn't maybe as familiar with. But the biggest thing for me that I did not like about this, and I think it's just a problem I have with documentaries, at least. I was going to say modern day documentaries because I've watched a few recently that are more recent than this post-2009. Well, not just sports. You mean documentaries documentaries, documentaries. When they focus on people and personalities, there's a tendency of giving a good long run of story about what this person has experienced or gone through an hour into it. Then we get backstory on that person themselves. In this case, we get a long run of St. Mary's, St. Vincent's, some backstory into LeBron's teammates, but we don't actually get any background into LeBron until like, an hour and 15 into this documentary. I don't like that. If I've got a main person in a documentary and that's the reason I'm watching this, whether it's this documentary or any other, I want as much knowledge about that person as possible so that when I'm seeing what the documentary is actually covering, their experiences, I've got that context for it. And I think part of why the documentary makers do it is because they want you to see all of this in the sequence they present it. But then it pushes you to go back and watch it again. And now you've got this new context for seeing all these other things that preceded it. I guess we don't agree then, because I did like that
1: a lot about this movie. Because it would have been way too easy to just ignore the other guys. In fact, was it one of them went to college, I think is all it was? One of them, or two? Two went to college, but none of them played in the NBA other than LeBron.
0: Yeah, none of them played in the NBA. I think they all went to college. Sorry, as basketball players. Oh, as basketball players. Because, what is it? Yeah, one of them went on on a a football scholarship. Two of them went to Akron University and then played professionally in Ulm or something.
1: Drew and... Romeo played in college, basketball that is, Willie went into computer science, and then Shion played football at Ohio State. That's right. One of my favorite lines, by the way, I was going to steal it from my nutshell, but I had the other one I'm going to eventually do. But the line at the end, LeBron James found seasonal work in Cleveland. I loved that. That is one of the most creative things I've ever heard for, he wanted to do it okay, he's, he's a bit of a star.
0: <laughs> yeah. What a great way to put that. Within the context of this end credit wrapping up of all of their post documentary life experiences i thought that was such a beautiful line too i laughed out loud when Mm. that came up it was great it'd be
1: a good line to say he went on to succeed in cleveland which would also be true it wouldn't be funny because basketball like every sport well most sports at least is seasonal yeah they don't
0: play for what two or three months since you brought up athletics that these guys not lebron but the other guys participated in and how it led to their post high school endeavors It's the reality of what these four guys again not lebron the other four guys were experiencing but willie mcgee also played football Mm -hmm. and basketball he was a dual sport athlete in high school dislocated his shoulder playing football and we learn about this first in the documentary right before we get on to shion and his dual sport athleticism this is not a unique story actually if you follow sport generally in any kind of amateur sport i don't really but you still read about these dual sports stars Football, I mean, I think we can all agree, is probably the most physically dangerous sport you can play. Right. And if you are an athlete like Willie McGee was, who it sounds like, pre-injury anyway, was a great high school basketball player, probably was on the route to getting at least a college scholarship. It's a lot to assume that you're going to become a pro, but let's say at least a college scholarship somewhere.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When you're not playing basketball, you decide to play football, dislocate mm-hmm. your shoulder, and then you're done athletically. Man, why does anybody do this to themselves if you've got that potential future in one sport don't jeopardize okay. that right
1: i was gonna answer that because i play with guys who played football i went to school i should say with guys who played football sure but also on the basketball team i never even played football but they would play two or three sports i did too but i played volleyball when they were playing football even our best athlete was nothing like any of these guys sure i certainly wasn't but we played multiple sports too whenever the season was I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with playing multiple sports. But your point, though, that they have futures, or they could have had futures, not just LeBron... That is different.
0: And maybe pick your spots a little bit better. I understand this is a Canadian that's not a huge football fan talking about Americans where football is a much bigger cultural thing. Maybe he preferred football to basketball, too. I had to keep reminding myself at certain points that even by the latter stages of this documentary, we're still talking about 16 or 17 year old kids. As much as they might be like showing you things they wrote in grade five, I want to be a professional NBA player. These are still kids. I just want to play sports with my friends, right? So it's not necessarily all do or die with your futures around the sport, especially within the context of the type of upbringings that it sounds like these kids had too, because I think part of the reason I was thinking this was, this is going to sound a little pretentious probably, but I think if I was a dual sport, and I I was not, but if I was a dual sport athlete, maybe on the road toward a college scholarship in one of those sports, and I got injured, I think my family had the financial wherewithal that they'd probably send me to college anyway. In this documentary, we had at least, and I think it was Willie, in fact, or maybe it was Romeo, but at least one of them, there was a story where he said, I was 10 years old, my dad told me, if you don't get a college scholarship, you ain't going to college, Mm -hmm. right? So that adds that layer of athletic pressure. If you don't get that college scholarship, post-secondary is out the window for you, which- Booby in Friday Night Lights. Exactly. That's a great example of it. And that's high school. That's like these guys are. And it's unfair, probably, to try to force kids of this age into that kind of decision. But is that a decision you have to consider if you're 14, 15, 15, 16 years old already, right?
1: But the proviso, again, that I can't, none of my friends could relate to, you're going to be, or you really have a chance to be a star at something. Yeah. Because they're coming from Bumble Nothing, Ohio. Yeah. And they talk about how they were supposed to, according to everyone, go to Bechtel, which is a black school. Bechtel? No, Bechtel, not Dell. But then they all choose St. Vincent, St. Mary's, which I guess is primarily a white school. This movie isn't really about race, though. Even though we've got five, well, I guess six with the coach, black people as your main stars. White people talk here and there, journalists, that kind of thing. But primarily the people speaking in this documentary are black people. And this movie is almost not at all about race.
0: Yeah, and I found that both interesting and because of the opportunity. That would depend primarily on what the circumstance was. Was race a big issue? And I know you can talk about the socioeconomic implications mm-hmm. of race in Ohio. and maybe it, wasn't, maybe it wasn't so bad for them in Ohio,
1: that part of Ohio.
0: Maybe not. And we did get elements of that when the pieces of the movie talking about each player talked about their upbringing. And a lot of them came from disadvantaged backgrounds, a lot of subsidized housing, a lot of projects. We heard about that from a number of different players. But I think the movie really did want this to be about... The camaraderie of these five guys, what they hope to achieve in their high school careers and grow out of the LeBron and his four sidekick shadows. Maybe it was a conscious decision by the director to not focus on race as an element, except that early comment about the expectation was that they go to this school, which is a primarily black community school, mm-hmm. and instead go to St. Mary St. Vincent. St. Vincent, St. Mary's. St. Vincent. So go to VM instead. Oh, quick thing, by
1: the way. Yeah. In grade school, I went to Viscount Montgomery. Also VM. <laughs> Not St. But Viscount Montgomery.
0: Watching the names of the schools in this documentary. And I know that there's a long history of Catholic institutions and religious institutions yeah. funding schools. But you just said Viscount Montgomery. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a religious school when the, no. their teachings. But that's a religious name. I don't think I ever knew that. Yeah. <laughs> Forgot if I did. So... When we saw Mater Day, right, Mother of God. Roger Bacon must be a religious reference, I'm guessing. Yeah, that Maybe one I like... didn't look up, and it went past me if it is. But so many of the schools were religious. I just found that interesting, because you would have expected there to be, or I, anyway, expected there to be more South Cleveland mm-hmm. <laughs> high school or something. There's like a McKinley, that. which must be a reference to the president.
1: Presumably, yeah. But generally speaking, yeah, it's things like Roger Bacon and St. Vincent St. Mary's. Pick a side,
0: man. <laughs> Why is it both of them? <laughs> you can have one. Maybe they're naming the school. All right, it's going to be St. Vincent's. And then somebody stood up and was like, hey, give me two. <laughs> give me two. Utah, <laughs> give me two. Yeah. Uh, the meatball sub-reference that never gets old in my eyes, even though I'm sure if anybody else heard it, they would have no bloody idea what that's a reference well, people to. probably no point break.
1: Yeah, Utah, true. give me two. Yeah. Okay, I'll do the nutshell right now. We we haven't really fully gotten into how good they are. Sure. But More Than a Game in a Nutshell is, team that was expected to win does. Yeah. (laughs) They are so dominant for three of their four seasons in school. They blow it in their junior year. I guess, was that their second last year? Yeah. But then they win the other three times. I like these kids a lot. I was rooting for them, but sure. we are really rooting for the overdog. It's like the Yankees in the 50s and 60s. Mickey Mantle's my favorite player ever, and that's great, but people talk about loving the underdog. Americans don't love the underdog. Americans love winners, Yeah, and they want the disadvantaged person or Well, some people really care about this, I think, more now than they did. A black person to be this great at something, be the best, legitimately, LeBron and Michael in basketball. Sure. There's white guys in that conversation, but nobody's going to say realistically that a white guy is the best basketball player of all time. (laughs)
0: Jerry West!
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Larry Bird and Jerry West are somewhere in that conversation. Larry Bird. Probably Nowitzki in the top 15 or something, but not in the top three, four, five. No, no. It's all black guys. Yeah. So we root for that underdog element of it. But it's like rooting for the Yankees in their prime. You know you're rooting for the team that always wins anyway. We have all the best players and all the most money, but yeah. I like the underdog. No, you don't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think inherently everybody likes a winner. Mm-hmm. I want the Leafs to win. I want the Jays to win. I want the Raptors to win, of course. But I do legitimately think in Toronto, the sports fandom here really gravitates and loves a player that might not be the best, might not be the most talented, but works their bloody ass off. Mm -hmm. And I think the best example of that in my lifetime that I can think of anyway is Jerome Williams when he played for the Raptors, Junkyard Dog. I remember that name. Okay. Yeah, he was like a tank, but not talented, worked his butt off, He used to play for the Pistons, got traded, drove overnight from Detroit to Toronto, (laughs) through like a snowstorm at 3 a.m., played the next day with the Raptors, and immediately everybody fell in love with him because he was that kind of gritty guy that was just getting after it every game Mm. without much talent. People loved him. Here in southern Ontario, that kind of player gets a lot of fans whether they win or not. But yeah, generally speaking, it is interesting how often people just root for the overdog. One of the things I did want to ask you, because I actually went back and rewound it two or three times, and I confused myself watching this documentary. What were the accolades of this team? Because when I was watching the narrative of the documentary, I thought the only time that they were going to win the national championship was the senior year leading up to that game that
1: could be maybe you're right i do have that at the beginning you hear the quote one of the guys said it but use basketball don't let it use you yes my next note is they prep for the 2003 national championship yes i tried to take notes of when they played and who they played against i don't have all of that here but maybe you're right when the flashback structure of this whole thing because that's the very end of the movie effectively at the beginning right talking about the national championship in '03. but when we go back later on this is a very big flashback movie it
0: is You're right, maybe they're talking about state championships, not nationals. That's what confused me, right? Especially leading up to that final national championship game, the interviews with the players then, and I guess contemporaneously to the documentary being made, they were talking about that being the culmination of a dream. Okay, so you guys didn't win the national championship before. Maybe you won state championships or divisional championships, but this was your first national title. But then at the end, the announcer, the voiceover, after they've won, says... St. Vincent, St. Mary's, three out of four years champions. Yeah. But then they throw Which out... is
1: true, but is it truly true
0: if it was only the state the other two times? Well, that's the thing, because then they throw out divisional two champions, state champions, now national cha-. I went back, I listened to that three or four times, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just my lack of familiarity with the structure of high school basketball in the States, yeah. but I was unclear. It was a more compelling narrative believing that this was their shot at the national championship that had eluded them thus far. If I'd known going into that final game that they'd already won two in their freshman and sophomore years... Yeah, nice to win another one, but you don't have to. Yeah, it's less
1: compelling. My favorite championship ever for me personally playing sports, and I've been lucky enough to be in a lot of championships, I know it's rec sports, but mm. we always compare our own lives, I think. But when my team won as an underdog in 2010 in my CBC softball league, I still picture so many moments of that day and it still makes me feel great. We won two more times in the next four years, so three to five times. We haven't won since. But when we won those other two times, as great as that was, it doesn't come close to the first time because we weren't supposed to beat the team we played for one thing and because we'd never been there before. When you've been there before, you want to keep doing it every time. And my team got to the finals or the semis over and over and over for about 10 years. My team was the overdog. Luckily enough, people didn't hate us because we're (laughs) usually pretty fun. You didn't get to be part of that. You joined after that was waning, although we still have been a good team since you joined, but we haven't been to the finals since then. But that first time, I'll never, ever forget it. If you've
0: ever played any sport, hmm. recreationally or otherwise, your favorite memories of that are probably when you you or your team overcame what appeared to be an insurmountable hurdle, an insurmountable odds, right? Incidentally, I don't think it's unfair, especially a documentary. If you're trying to like evaluate your feelings about something sportish, what can you do except compare it to your own life experiences, right? Because that's the lens you're going to watch everything through anyway. Maybe other people have different opinions. Well, you're
1: right. If they won the state at the due times, and then, of course, they blew it in the junior year because they weren't listening to their coach anymore. Coach Drew took over after Keith brought left. They were 27-0 that one year. And he goes and he ends up being a, I think it's a college coach. I don't think he's ever been a pro coach, but he leaves to do that. They were hurt. Akron University, because he's the coach they say Romeo and Drew play for at at, at, Akron, right? But he obviously coached and did well at the college level. But when they ignore Coach Drew, that's the year when they don't end up winning, and Roger Bacon does. But yeah, if they end up going on to something bigger than they ever had before, the last chance they've got to do this, that would explain why they're so emotional and thrilled. When we won in 2014, that third time in five years, great feeling, but we've done this before. These guys, I guess, maybe hadn't done this before, specifically. That's right. It's also an expectation thing. Maybe it's not, I should win again, but I have done it, so I can do it. And Maybe at the national level, even with LeBron, they weren't the overdog. I didn't really get the feeling that everyone thought, well, they're going to
0: win. It's more about, can they? They're probably a favorite, but it wouldn't be absolutely stunning if the other team won. Of all sports that I follow, I think basketball is the one, and I don't think this is an outlandish statement. I'm sure everyone would agree with this. This is a sport where one... Yep legendary player can carry a team to a championship look what lebron's done i mean in the pros I say in LeBron. the pros, of yeah. course yeah but it's also a sport that doesn't guarantee that one legendary player is going to win every year because then lebron would win every year regardless yeah. of who his supporting cast was and jordan would have done the same and all these guys have won and jordan did win six not in a row though because the one year he came back and played a yeah.
1: partial season well he wasn't maybe in game shape for that half season but they didn't win yeah. so he was fully gone for one year then he was back for that Whatever, the, I forget the year was. It was the three in a row. Then he was gone for a year. But then they won the three in a row after that. Yeah. Even he tasted failure after they had in their early years as a team. And LeBron's won so many championships with so many teams, but not every year, obviously. Not even close. You what know, he win
0: now? Five? One with Cleveland, one with LA, and the three with Miami? I believe that's right. And people are always going to point a finger at the Miami team because there was Dwayne Wade there, because there was Chris Bosh there. The decision. Yeah. The <laughs> The point being is one legendary player can certainly carry a team to a championship. I think especially when you're still as raw a legendary player as LeBron is as a 17-year-old or 18-year-old at this point, there's still the opportunity for failure, right? Mm Because I didn't recognize, and I think this is true, that there's no shot clock at this level of basketball. Oh, I don't know. Is that true? Well, they talk about at one point in that final game of the documentary, what was the team there? That they were playing against for the national championship that they beat? That last year? The last year
1: alter yeah they're losing a- it's alter and they rally and they win they're i did yes. write down third national championship but maybe i don't have that right but it's alter a l
0: t okay because they talk about when they're losing that first half we're getting the voiceover from the players we knew they were going to try to slow us down the commentators of the game while it was being aired yeah. were saying they ran a minute and 11 off the clock You're right i
1: wonder about that too that's right i forgot i'm like how, to how right the heck? how
0: can you right yeah
1: So maybe there's no shot clock. Maybe they got their own rebound when they missed a shot. But even at that, the clock resets. They didn't really run it down the way that you're talking about. College has, what, a 30-second shot clock, the NCAA? I thought
0: we had shot clocks when I played high school basketball all those years ago. I'm sure we did in our high school games too, but maybe there wasn't in... Which is weird when they're younger than us. Yeah. You think if we're talking about
1: something in the fifties or sixties, okay, no have shot clocks, maybe. But you might be right. I do remember thinking that now. Plus the final score in that last game was in the forties. Yeah. LeBron was scoring eighteen twenty points a game by himself. I guess he could have had half their points, like Jimmy does in Hoosiers. He has more than half their points in the championship. And that final was in the thirties. We see so many baskets scored in Hoosiers right. in that final's game, but it must be all the points that were scored because the final that they portray, and in reality of the Hoosiers thing, was 33 to 31 or two or something like that. The score's not exactly the same in the movie, but it's pretty much the same. And that's what happens in this
0: too. It's not in the 80s, it's in the 40s. Right, and that's why the shot clock and the eight second half court count, at least in the pros, came into being is because teams would hold the ball in the backcourt, especially if they're winning and you get games in the 30s and nobody wants to watch that. But if that's true, then it does add credence to the thought that as good as LeBron and the Fab Five were, they could be beaten given the right strategy, the right opponent, and the right execution of that. Especially if you're holding the ball and you're slowing them down, and you're trying to grind out a game that's in the forties. Yeah, and it, also frustrate these really talented kids. Right. Yeah. They're immature.
1: They're still kids, so they might be. Oh, look at the whole thing when Drew gets a technical foul in the game in the junior year, throws the ball at the net, technical foul. Now they're really going to lose. Right. And LeBron yeah. grabs them almost like my little brother, which I
0: guess in effect yeah. he was. What are you
1: doing, you idiot?
0: I really got the sense watching this thing that even growing up. LeBron took that role as a leader of the group I think so. very seriously, mm-hmm. not just on the floor, but in the huddle. The best players
1: aren't always the best leaders on their teams. I think we've mentioned before that the Oilers, Gretzky and Messier and all those great players, Gretzky is great as he was, and he was the captain. Messier was the leader of that team, and I don't think yeah. even Gretzky denies that. LeBron is both those things. He's the leader and he's the best player.
0: Yeah, and there's been a lot of chatter in recent years, especially during his LA tenure, but I think this is true in his second stint with Cleveland also. How good a leader is he in the locker room? Some players thrive with him and some players seem to wilt. But at least within the context of what I saw in this documentary, it seemed to come across that even at that young age, LeBron was maybe a little bit beyond his years I a little bit that. better a leader than you would have expected much like he was a much better basketball player and physical specimen than you would have expected for somebody of his age right, right? so let's talk about his legacy
1: because he recently sure. broke the all-time scoring record which you had to remind me about because i knew he was getting there but then you just said it so matter-of-factly when we yeah. did what was it again major league two no chair of fire i guess it was so yeah promoting this you said he had just broken the scoring record that's right and he's gonna obviously really smash kareem's scoring record by continuing to play for however many more years he does even if he plays two more years People will break most round hunting, and there's a lot of records that seem like they'll never fall in various sports. But breaking his points record is going to be, not impossible, but pretty close to impossible. Pretty hard. I know he's had more injuries as he's gotten older, but mm-hmm. he broke into the league at 18. That's a huge reason why this happened, too. He had yeah. so many years before most guys get... Some guys are going to start playing at 20, 21, which is still so young, especially compared to us. 100%. We could be their dad, easily. <laughs> I could almost yeah. be their grandfather. <laughs> but because of that factor, that he had the extra couple of years, and was great from the beginning... Yeah. He got thousands and thousands of points. Is that what he getting I guess it's probably thousands of points yeah. in a full season that got him to this point. Rather than, oh God, can I play another year or two and break Kareem's record when I can barely walk? Which might happen to him when he's 43, 44, if he's still playing. See, he does. wants
0: to play with his son, I heard, too. Yeah, he wants to play with Bronny. And I think that's two years away before he's draft eligible. I think you can expect to see LeBron for another two or three years. Okay. But while he has gotten a little bit more injury probably he's gotten older, the guy still averages 25, 26, 27 oh, really? points a game. Now, you watch, and I pretty much never watch sports, especially basketball anymore. Do you think he's as good? or Well, I guess he's not, but is he close to as good as he was in his best days? He also plays for the Lakers, so I don't see as many right. as I once did. But from what I have seen, he's not the same player he was, right? He's not the guy that's going in and trying to dunk it all the time. Okay. He still does a lot. The guy's still got hops. It's incredible for his age. He's a better playmaker. He's a mm. better long-range shooter than he was when he was younger. He might not put up as many raw points, but I think he does a lot more facilitation. There's a lot he does better now than he did back then. There were years where he was putting up 30 plus on average a game, mm-hmm. right? But Without having his stats in front of me right now, my guess is that he's putting up more assists per game than he ever did before. Usually the best basketball players are great playmakers too. Yeah. They might
1: be a great scorer. Well, they are a great scorer, but they can also be a hell of a good
0: passer. When he moved to LA, one of the things he did, if not all the time, at least periodically, he's a point guard, which is wild. At 6'9". At 6'9". That's what Magic was, and he was a point guard. That's right. The guy is freakish in his abilities because as great as he's always been, when you think about the other greats of the game, and you cited some of them, kareem was really at the end of his career when i started watching the nba yes he was but it's different when you're a seven footer that's not expected to be as agile he's not expected to be the floor general necessarily right magic is magic is but magic had to retire much younger for the hiv stuff that's not that long after kareem retired magic did too yeah it was a real crushing blow to the lakers but those other greats that lasted into their late 30s and even into their 40s like kareem like wilt they were centers to see a guy like LeBron at this age doing what he's doing is unreal. It's okay, unbelievable. Okay,
1: so I think we agree that if you have to go with greatest player of all time, I think you agree with my definition of that when you talk about athletes. Babe Ruth is the greatest baseball player of all time, but is yes. he the best? I guess things like war say he is, but I would say the best baseball player of all time probably Bonds. I know he talks steroids. I used to say Cobb. Is Gretzky the greatest hockey player of all time? Yes. Is he yes. the best? No. It's probably Bobby Orr. Is the best football player of all time, Tom Brady? Probably you can say that now. I don't think there's too much debate anymore. Basketball, it was Jordan, I think, pretty unequivocally for a long time there. Yeah. But because LeBron has won championships with three different teams, which Jordan never had the chance to do. He played in other teams after he retired and came back again and that second time he retired, played with the Wizards. Wizards, which he yeah. Jordan didn't have the chance to play for other teams and make them great in champions as well. But the right. fact LeBron, yes, he did it as a super team in Miami. But then he goes back to Cleveland where he started, of course. Yep. You don't win a championship when you're the only good player. He had
0: Kyrie, but Kyrie's not been able to win with other players, okay. so right? So he had
1: one other great player. When the Bulls were out there best, and I'm not disrespecting Jordan, because I've always said he's the greatest of all time and sure. probably the best of all time, which is a rare combination. I just said it. Brady probably is, but there's other people I just mentioned, and that's all opinion. But Jordan, if he's ever going to be usurped, A, LeBron now has the scoring, which he had over Michael anyway a long time ago, because Michael didn't play as long. Right. But now LeBron, with all the championships, playing so well at this age, doing the things he's doing, is he the greatest of all time? I think they're one and two. I don't think you can say Kareem or Malone or Magic, Bird,
0: Jerry West, whoever, is anywhere near their level. The counting stats and the accolades and the championships, the more LeBron accrues over time, and like you said, he's going to play for a few more years, and we have every reason to believe he's going to keep performing at an all-star level. I think it's going to be very hard to make an argument that he's not the greatest of all time at this point. To your point about the distinction between the greatest and the best... That is always going to come down to some degree to personal preference, I yes. think. Maybe the Bill Russell championship record. Right. or He's in the conversation too, right? I forgot about him. Or some specific scoring years where guys like Wilt Chamberlain were putting up ungodly mm-hmm. numbers. You can parse it down year by year or groups of years and say, during this phase of this player's career, they were the best the game has ever seen. And that might be true, but if you take their careers as a whole, I think LeBron's got to be the guy now. If you were magically able
1: to take any of these people from their best maybe five-year stretch... yeah. So Michael at his best in, I guess, the mid-90s? That's hard to argue with, isn't it? And then LeBron at his best, whatever that exactly was.
0: It must have been a while ago. Whoever you choose, you're only going to get them for their best five years, maybe, or three years of their career, whatever. Let's not factor in career length. My personal choice? Maybe Larry Bird. Oh, really? Maybe Magic or Johnson. Or, not even
1: Michael or LeBron, okay.
0: I think part of the reason I say that, though, is because I spent so much time watching Jordan, so much mm. time watching LeBron, I respect the hell out of what I know about the legacies of those two players, Larry and Magic, Mm. and the fact that they were head-to-head competitors for those years. So often,
1: playing each other in the finals. Yeah. Not once in a while, almost always in the 80s, it seemed.
0: Yeah, and I think if you look at specific years in each of their careers, you could point to those years as being amongst the greatest ever played I think if you had to pick up greatest of all time, it's got to be Michael probably for the most dominant player in any given year. And the fame. And that's when you get the Ruth
1: argument, I think. Who's the person that represents their sport the best all time for a fan or even, I guess the better argument for a non-fan. If we ask Bev or Allison these questions. That's got to be Jordan. All the names I've mentioned, they know Babe Ruth, they know Muhammad Ali, they know Wayne Gretzky. And they certainly know Michael Jordan. Yeah, they have to know LeBron. Because, of course, Beb has seen him in movies. Trainwreck. Yeah. He's so funny in Trainwreck. He's a funny actor. He's a I charismatic hated, guy. I hated Space Jam legacy. Is that what it's called? Space Jam 2? Yeah. Not as much for him. He's a better actor than Michael was in the first Space Jam. <laughs> but I don't true. like either of those movies, but I'd watch the first one again before I ever watched the second one again. But yes, he was in Trainwreck and so funny. As was John Cena, another former athlete yep. being a wrestler. And LeBron's producing a lot of things. He's an executive producer on this. He's got all kinds of projects in the hop. But then Michael was an owner of a team. See you get all these other things. I guess the other question then, mentioning Space Jam Legacy is who would you pick as a video game player between LeBron, Michael, okay, bring in Bird, Magic and whoever. Video game player. Because of course they make them at their absolute peak. Yeah. Who would you pick
0: then? This is purely the way I like to play video games, especially basketball video games. I'm not good enough as a video game basketball player to effectively play the slashers, the Iversons or even the Vince Carters when he was at his peak with the Raptors or the Jordans, because Jordan was a great slasher, he was a great mid range shooter. Not a great long-range shooter. I go back to Larry Bird, because he's a guy that had size. He could handle the ball. One of the greatest passers of all time. One of the greatest passers of all time, but also one of the greatest long-range shooters of yes, all time, right? No. So a lot of versatility that helps me as a video game player. Okay. And I think a good leader, too. Well, I think we've talked about this here and there. We never will obviously
1: cover it. I thought maybe we might cover The Last Dance, but it'd be such a long podcast if we did the entire series. And it we've only tough. ever ventured into TV stuff, I think, once, when we did 61, a TV movie, though. I was fascinated by The Last Dance. But I grew to not like him very much anymore the way I did as a person. I was offended by that. Was that what the line was he said so many times? I took offense to that. He's so easily offended. I don't get that feeling from LeBron. I like LeBron more as a person, so I still think Jordan is the biggest name in the history of the sport, and maybe he always will be, but because I don't like him as much as a person, and I like LeBron more as a person, the more I get to know him, he stood up in the Black Lives Matter protests, which you might think that every black player did, but I don't think every black player did when that was going on in 2020, and I don't think he was very visible that way before. He just wanted to do his job. Michael wasn't either, and Michael did more that year than he ever had before. You could really affect change, Michael, in your best days, and he didn't do it. LeBron maybe wasn't doing it, but he seems to be more so the
0: last few years. So
1: these aren't about who's the best basketball player, but you're now bringing the whole scope of it. LeBron might be the greatest.
0: Yeah, especially if you're looking at the players as ambassadors for the game. I think that matters. I think you can make the argument it matters. Sure, absolutely. This is more and more true just the more that social media and visibility of famous people generally becomes greater. We learn things about the celebrities of the world that color our views of them beyond what we just know about them and their professions, right? And I agree with you. I came away from The Last Dance liking Michael less... Not respecting his game less, but liking no. him as a person, a player less. Still an maybe. incredible player. Maybe even yeah.
1: liked him more as a player, but as a guy? And I really think more than ever, there was something going
0: on with him gambling and they had to make oh, him leave. yeah. Michael Jordan is a man and his love of gambling and all of that. He can't breathe without betting on it. I think that's true. And I do respect a lot of what LeBron's done. Not all that he's done, because he's certainly done some things like the super team, like the decision, where I've not loved it. And I also do believe that it's fair for a famous player of any sport, a celebrity, to not necessarily always have to take a stand about things. Actually, you're right. I agree with you on that because we've said before, I think you agree with me, that when people say silence is
1: violence about whatever the cause is, do we have to have an opinion every minute of the day? Yeah. Some people on social media seem to think they have to comment on everything that ever happens, especially if it's about the cause they care about. Maybe once in a while, just shut up. Is it possible? No, it's not, I guess. And maybe in his case, he did for a long time. So, okay, yeah. Yeah
0: different era also but a player did not want to stand up in front of the microphone and denounce the police or whomever I'm not going to hold that against them maybe it's different if I was also a black man and Mm. I was looking for that leadership out of some of the icons of the sport I might feel differently that is a point in LeBron's favor especially in recent years he's been a guy that has stood up for issues that he believes in and he's championed things that he believes in whether or not i always agree with his opinions you have to respect his willingness to do that Mm -hmm. i think it helps when you're a billionaire athlete (laughs) what's the worst thing that's going to happen to you at that point even more so than michael he grew up with such
1: attention because michael had a lot of
0: it yeah
1: but lebron when he was that much younger than michael had it on him all the time you know i guess the biggest difference is that he was in a small place in ohio but then they found him obviously and made him into a
0: megastar they did some of that for the other guys too yeah the media that is over the course of the podcast, we've talked about various athletes that I like, respect, Shaq among them, because we've talked yes, about him in various he's in the conversation to various Kobe. ways. Kobe. Yeah, not, he's not in the top two or three. All, not I in guess. the same positive light necessarily because of some of the allegations against mm-hmm. him and stuff like that. And I think a very selfish person more than these other guys. Seemed
1: that way, yeah, for sure. He wanted to be the star more than he wanted to keep winning with Shaq. They would have won more championships, but
0: he wanted to be the star. I think this is the nutshell of what happened there. We spent a fair bit of time talking about legacy and perception of LeBron as he is today, right? Yeah. We both agree that if he's not the number one of all time in the NBA legacy, just as a total package of a player or a person and all that, he's maybe number two, he and Jordan. I think you can make arguments for both, depending on your perception of both. Both number 23. It's true. I do want to talk about the first coach guy, do a little bit. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question. If you are maybe not in grade nine, 10, whatever, but by the time you get to the junior and senior year of high school, if you're the other four guys on the St. Vincent, St. Mary's team, Mm -hmm. you know LeBron is going number one overall. You can't know that he's going to become the player he did because that's greatest of all time territory, right? Just by virtue of being drafted number one, he's going to be a multimillionaire immediately. you're not. How does that mess with your head? Bellman never asked that question of them. And to their credit, at least at the time this movie was made, and you said it was like 08 that it was produced probably, released Mm. 09, I know, but Mm. around 08. So LeBron's been in the league for five years, six years at that point. He's already made, I'm sure at that point, through endorsements and everything, he's probably already a hundred plus million dollars to his name. And at that point they said, well, they're still best buddies. And I think that's a credit to them, if true. But part of this for me anyway, is colored by how much I know of other athletes, particularly in the NBA, that grew up in similarly stressed circumstances economically And then when one of that group of people hits it big, they make hundreds of millions of dollars in their career, but they feel compelled to support their friends and their entourages to the point where they retire and almost immediately they have no money left, right? I think this happens more often to black people because they grew up
1: so often in the situation like these guys do. They're the ones that are going to struggle more. The out so often for black people is sports, especially black men. And they don't want their friends to go through the trouble that they already did, or that that person went through. So I'm going to help them out. I've got this money to throw around. I want a party. I want them to just have a nice house, maybe or a nice car. Yeah, I'm they... not saying white people have never done that, but it seems like it's more of a thing that black people have to face in the first place. I think yeah. Mike Tyson went through this too. Mike Tyson, for all of his faults, oh, I yeah. think he was pretty generous with his friends, as was Elvis. You'd visit him or something like that, and that's a nice watch, nice
0: car. You want it? Yeah, have it. I don't think it's particularly a race thing necessarily, but I think in parts of America, there's like a disproportionate number of black families that are below the economic poverty line. And that's a whole societal problem that has yet to be resolved. But But, if you've made it to this level and you can help any of those people that you care about, why wouldn't you? Exactly. From the perspective of these players that have done that and lost their fortunes, you can understand that mindset because you want to help the people that you grew up with and care about, and you don't want them to experience the poverty that you knew and all that stuff. So I wasn't really even thinking about it from LeBron's perspective, but we got so much time to get to know Drew, Cheyenne, Willie, and at a certain point, even Romeo becomes friends mm-hmm. with them, right? And
1: it's, yeah, they call him the Fab Five, but they're only the Fab Four. And I, For a long time. I, I've seen this movie, but I hadn't seen it in a long time. And okay, he's obviously going to accept it, because yeah. he just flat out doesn't for the first year or two he's with them. Yeah, he's an ass, it sounds like, for the first little while. Well, he thinks they're silly. They're always goofing around, and he doesn't like that. He's just not like that as a person. I don't think they did it when they played basketball, but they were all together all the time, especially traveling. Yeah. And even LeBron apparently is pretty immature. They're when still they're, kids. And they are still kids. I guess he was more mature than them or just didn't like doing things that way. It sounds
0: like it. If you're one of those other four guys, is there expectation? Do you think that, okay, when LeBron makes it rich, he's going to buy me a Hummer or he's going to do this? Maybe he did for some of them or all of them. We don't know. And it's not talked about. And I don't mm-hmm. think it has to be talked about. It's not the thrust of this movie. It's just a question that kept running through my head. If tomorrow you came up to me and said, hey, Chris, great news. I just won $200 million or something. I'd be like, wow. That's weird. <laughs> right? You think you and Alison wouldn't benefit from that? <laughs> because you would. I know. Unless right? you flat out refused, you would. Well, that's the thing. And, it's and the, she might refuse. <laughs> she might refuse. I would accept it wholeheartedly, right? Don't worry. Give me <laughs> so all the money it's the same thing you hear about lottery winners. The way you perceive other people, or they perceive you more notably, has to change. And that's got to mess with your head. Yeah. They talk about the celebrity of LeBron James in his junior and senior year. They touch on that. Cover of SI, no high school kid had ever been on that that's right but they don't really talk about at all how that affected the other four guys what were they really thinking about it maybe bellman asked him and didn't like the answer he got and thought i better just
1: cut this out i don't know let's say maybe, really yeah. was really bothered by it for example and was even angrier said i'm not going to talk about that yeah it could and be. doesn't actually feel like they're as close as lebron says are. maybe Willie didn't do anything. I'm just using him as an example, or Drew, maybe. He thought, well, if this is going to make them look bad, I'm not going to do that. That's not what this is. Because I think one of the problems people have with this movie and why the critical response wasn't as good as I think it should have been, because I like yeah. the movie more than the critics did, I guess, is they felt it didn't go very deep. For five people, six with the coach to be such stars this movie, it isn't that long. It's an hour 40 ish long. And if that's been a criticism of it, I would agree with it. I think the movie is so well made. I think Bellman did a great job with editing as far as he edited. got such access from, I guess, the five of them or the six with the coach. but. Must be home videos and things. The access this guy had it's is something else. The footage is great and it's a really well paced documentary. It flew by.
0: And I have to agree with that. And there's a ton about the decisions the documentarian made making this that I really liked and respected, especially around that editing and pacing you're talking about. He hasn't
1: directed another movie, by the way.
0: That's surprising. He's done a to lot me. of
1: TV. Maybe he prefers TV, but he's done nothing else and it's been 14 years
0: there's a lot worse legacies to leave behind mm-hmm. than something of this quality. I know I cited a few things that I didn't love about it, but I think by and large it was a really well-made thing and like you said the access was super impressive. We don't get a lot of time with was it Danbrot? The Dambracht I believe? Keith? Yeah. Danbrot. Okay. So we don't get a lot with him. We hear that he's this really well-respected high school coach in this area of Ohio and that's part of the reason why the players decide to go to St. Vincent, St. Mary instead of the other school that they were expected to go to. And After two years of coaching them, I guess he got the offer from Akron University or whatever. In the end credits, we find out that Drew and Romeo played for him at Akron University. But in the moment, all we're told is he has this life opportunity or something, and he felt like he had to take it. And we get the interviews with the players who are like, well... I was mad as hell mm-hmm. didn't forgive him because he promised us he was going to coach us for four years and i didn't care about what the life circumstance was and part of me is like okay well you're a 14 15 year old kid when he left you're a little juvenile but then when i thought about it it sounded like this was a family emergency and he had to leave but then later on again end credits oh you just went to get a coaching job at a university i don't blame him i kind of do be- set about
1: his family for maybe
0: life being a coach at a university versus a high school Knowing how much these coaches could get paid in the American mm-hmm. university system, I know that's hard to say no to, but if these four kids, five kids, Romeo at that point, I don't know, anyway, at least four, maybe five kids, go to your school because you made them a promise. I would personally... Oh,
1: feel- he promised them. I forgot that. If he said, I'll never leave you, he shouldn't have said that. But if he did say that, then okay, well, that, they've that, got more of a
0: point. Yeah, that's what Drew said. He promised us he would coach us for the four years and then he left. That's one thing. The second thing is, okay. if you've got LeBron James, and by the time he left, LeBron was still young, but he was becoming the phenom that he evolved into. Yeah, he skipped the draft.
1: Or skipped college. Skipped
0: college. So he went right to the draft. Yeah, so by the time Dan brought leaves, he's got a 15-, 16-year-old LeBron. You can see this guy's going to the NBA. He's probably going number one. You say, okay, well, you know, I'm not leaving right now. I'm going to coach these guys for two more years. I'm probably going to win state if not every year, at least once or twice more, maybe a national championship. I'm going to be the guy that coached LeBron James for four years. I'm sure you can find yourself a university coaching gig. Bigger than Akron, I guess then. Bigger than Akron. and It felt like a bit of a jerk move to ditch the kids if he made that promise that they say he made. And B, feels a little short-sighted. Unless maybe he specifically wanted to coach at Akron because he had family connections in Ohio. If he passes that up, the opportunity might not be there in two years anymore because it's only one school. Right? I have another so, possibility that they won't see because it's hard to see something negative
1: about yourself. Sure. But because they're such a group and they're always the four of them, especially at first and then the Fab Five.
0: Maybe they were a pain in the ass. Maybe that's what we saw in that third year under Drew Second. right? We didn't they listen, to, listen him. to him. Yeah. Maybe this guy was just like, these kids are too full of themselves. It's too much of a headache. I'm they not- deserve to be, but still you are children and he is in charge. We saw that stuff with Drew the 2nd where in third year they were just so full of themselves destroying all the local competition so much that they didn't think they needed a coach essentially it sounds mm-hmm. like if you're watching these kids fail especially knowing what you know about LeBron James's subsequent career Part of me is thinking, you know what, it might have been the best thing, at least for LeBron, because he had the whole career post-high school. For these other kids, they might not necessarily have had the opportunity yeah. to play beyond high school. But they got so motivated. Okay, this is what failure tastes like. This is why, regardless of how good we think we are, we got to keep working at it because there's no guarantees. Well, part of the reason why LeBron is one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest,
1: Michael, all these people we've talked about so much in this podcast, is they're so driven. Yeah, relentless. Look at Kobe. Right? They talk about Kobe wake up in the middle of the night, basically, to go work on his game, yeah. even when he was getting to be older. Does he need to keep doing that? Well, he thinks so. I have my issues with Kobe, but I really respect that. You're that dedicated to this that 100%. in the basketball season, that's almost all you're doing. And cheating on your wife. But basically, <laughs> okay. all you're doing is basketball, even at times that are absurd. Everybody works hard at that level. You pretty much have to. But he worked even harder than everybody else. And I think Michael did too. And I'm guessing when, sure. does. And when you talk about the weight room, you talk about
0: watching video and just thinking about it all the time. What if they just won the third year and just won the fourth year and never really struggled all that much in high school? LeBron still gets drafted first overall. He may not be as driven and as great as he's been. Maybe he's still a parental all-star and all that, but maybe he doesn't become quite the guy, or it took him another five years after getting smacked around in the NBA a little bit Mm because he never had the adversity in high school. I'm happy that they focused as much as they did for that period of this documentary on the failure because I think that's an important growth point for this group. As it turns out, they couldn't have controlled it because it was reality, but that's what happens in movies
1: all the time, isn't it? A fictional movie about sports or about any topic, there's almost always that point where there's a down moment and they rise back up again. What did you think about Drew the Second? I'm mostly kidding and saying he's an arrogant person, but there is a funny thing that so much of the movie is about him. And of course, Bellman being new to shooting movies, it looks good, but he has some tight close-ups, especially on Coach Drew. You pretty much don't see his hair or his chin. (laughs) (laughs) You have to get a facial before shooting this movie. Pores. Yeah. He's got some freckles on his nose. You maybe don't see if you're just standing in front of him. The camera's right there and you
0: can't miss it. I did find it a little distracting how close they shot him for some of those sequences. The reason I ask you this question is he starts coaching his kid in just like a rec league kind of, or an AAU or whatever the equivalent is. Then he gets the assistant job at the high school under under Dan Brott because of his relationship with the kids. And then Dan Brott moves and says, I want you to take over. Well, this guy, by his own admission, was not even a basketball player until his kid showed interest backed into this really interesting gig and spotlight
1: almost by accident. Makes me wonder if he actually was power playing behind the scenes, but his story is that, oh, I didn't want this
0: anyway, but they forced it on me. Yeah. Part of it is, look at all the spotlight on me, but part of it's also you put yourself in this really tough spot, right? Because you've got your own kid playing on your team. And you're harder on him than anybody else. I think you have to be, because Drew Third starts out in this movie at 4'10", mm-hmm. on the floor with other young kids. Even I could beat him. <laughs> yeah, well, he probably dribble circles with both of us. him up, how about that? Yeah, sure, probably just I probably couldn't do that. Hold his forehead. <laughs> they talk about the jokes of him being the ball boy that mm-hmm. gets put in the game. you got to make sure that your son is playing well enough to justify him being on the team, because if he's not, then everyone's just going to be criticizing you for favoritism and all that. But then you're forcing yourself to be super hard on him, which jeopardizes your relationship with him, which they talk about a little bit in this. The relationship was not really father-son for a couple of years out of necessity. I went back and forth with this because on the one hand, like I said, I thought, oh, this guy fortuitously backed his way into this role of a lifetime, essentially. How many people can say you coached LeBron James for four years? Because I guess he was the assistant for the first two.
1: Depiction of the sport. It's great, obviously.
0: It's as good a basketball action we've seen this entire podcast. The only All the 15 or so we've done of basketball movies, 14, whatever it was. Great behind-the-scenes stuff of high school practices and things, which mm-hmm. I did not expect to see. I had never seen this before we did this, by the way, so I didn't expect to get as many behind-the-scenes, in the locker rooms, in the gym, practicing kind of footage. One thing I didn't love, especially early in this, some of the game footage, this had to have been Bellman doing it. They zoomed and cropped the game footage oh right so you can't see the score sometimes in the bottom yeah and i assume because he didn't want you to see the score maybe because it was a blowout or it didn't quite fit the narrative or whatever's going on but i thought that was my dvd player screwing up the zoom of it i was playing with my controls of this trying to figure out what setting i'd messed up (laughs) for like 10 minutes and then eventually i gave up but i found it really distracting by the end of it when we see the national championship games and stuff like that it's zoomed out a little bit you can see all of the graphics and things you didn't really need to zoom well, that Well, that's because it was 4x3, and he's trying to fit into a 16x9 image. I took that probably was the case, too, as the aspect ratio was kind of messed up, and mm-hmm. they had to do it. Yeah. I also found it fun, incidentally, speaking of the game footage. We got a brief snippet of Dan Schulman.
1: He's such a good broadcaster. Really started, is. well, maybe he didn't start. I think he started in Toronto. He did. And baseball, he, right? There then he first. went south. And we lost him, and I'm glad he got the opportunity. He seems like a good guy, too, and for now sure. we got him back here. I
0: love Schulman. But he's love- legitimately a great broadcaster. I don't know why he's settling for here. Maybe he just wants to be near family. Could be as long as he's here. I'm happy to have him. He's yeah. a great broadcaster, so I love seeing him here. I also enjoyed seeing Brian Windhorst when he was young. He's become quite a famous national okay. NBA. Pundit. Dick Vitale when he was old because he was always old. It's <laughs> <laughs> <He was> always <laughs> old. It's true. <laughs> it's... Old but always enthusiastic. We got some voiceover of vital calling mm-hmm. some of the games, which was fun.
1: As for scoring, no, they're mostly good-looking fellows, especially LeBron. But this is not a scoreable film. <laughs> it would be a date movie though if your date like basketball and/or documentaries. Why not? Sure. Can and if they like young, cute LeBron, mm-hmm. five-year-old yeah, LeBron so bloody little... cute. <laughs> yeah, He's got movie star looks now. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I think it achieves everything it wants to. Not as probing as maybe it should be, but it's so
0: engaging and so well made. And I think an eight's a good score. What about you? Probably 7. It's a good documentary. I have a few minor gripes about some of the choices that they made. But I also acknowledge that some of those gripes are definitely subjective. The order in which he presents some information about LeBron and the flashing back and the sequencing of things you enjoyed... I didn't like it as much. I wish it was slightly deeper. I didn't mind so much. But when I saw that comment on Wikipedia, I thought, "Ah, you've got a point. You're right. It probably should be a little deeper.
1: We didn't get answers to some of those questions about jealousy and what people really thought about things, which seemed like they'd be a logical thing for somebody to ask. We didn't get that question. This maybe because they want to make the guys feel bad that they haven't achieved what he has. But then how many people have? (laughs) Very few. Basically nobody. I mentioned him being a producer, by the way. He produced Hustle. And I think he's got, I'm pretty sure I saw earlier, a ton of in the works and development. So yeah. he is producing a lot more movies than he already has. And he's produced his fair share now. And it's not even his job. His job, of course, get this, Chris, is to play basketball.
0: Huh, wouldn't have thought. Makes sense, though, when you say it that way. Yeah, I think that was one of the motivating factors for him going to the Lakers was he wanted to be more Hollywood. involved in Hollywood. If there was one edit I wish they had made, it was some of those questions you asked. But I do think, and you've sort of opened my eyes to this a little bit more as we've talked about it, Bellman clearly just wanted to focus on this one era mm-hmm. and leave it at that. You know, if that's your decision as a filmmaker, that's a good point too, then yeah. so be it. This would be
1: a whole series of was about all of them for most of their lives.
0: You mentioned The Last Dance. I bet you you could do something like The Last Dance about this group of people, especially now, 20 years on. And have it be really fascinating, especially if it was willing to talk about some of those relationship elements between LeBron and these friends of his. Are they still friends today? And then other people he's played with in the NBA. I would love to see that. Mm-hmm. I hope we do someday, especially given LeBron's involvement in Hollywood. Shaq just did one, which was not as good as The Last Dance, but it was okay. So okay. Maybe. We're going to be
1: ending this podcast. Mm-hmm. Podcast days are numbered. We're going to pull up stakes and wrap it up on June the 7th, which is a Wednesday, not a Thursday. Why a day early? Well, that will be five years to the day we launched Scoring at the Movies, so go for some symbiosis. We will have done 131 episodes by then, most of which were about sporty films from our youth, so the 80s and the 90s. We could keep doing this for years because there are hundreds of titles that qualify as sports movies. Sometimes we stretch that <laughs> definition a little bit, but they have mostly been sports movies. There's always been some kind of sport in them. Yes. But we mostly have to cover really crappy ones now at this point from the 80s and 90s or supposed classics or actual classics from long ago. And that's not why we started this podcast in the first place, to cover National Velvet, that horse racing movie. Right. That's not why we started the podcast. And I just want to get out and smell the roses more. <laughs> so We've only got, I guess, it's three more after this one. And we'll say goodnight. So June the 7th will be our final episode ever. That is a Wednesday. In two weeks, our third last episode, we'll travel back to cover the last really old movie we'll ever do on this channel, a film that predates Chris, and I was only one when it came out, Jimmy Conn stars in Norman Jewison's Rollerball. It won't be as long a conversation as this <laughs> has been, I don't think, but there's a lot of depth in that movie. It's not just about roller derby. Yeah. It's got a North Dallas 40 thing going on, I think, where the sport is a big part of it, but it's really almost more about the business stuff. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I do think it's a good movie. We're on Twitter. I'm at MovieFiend51. Chris is at, scoring at Movies. The email address is scoring at themovies at gmail.com. So get your emails in while you still can. Although I think these podcasts will be up online forever, even when we finish doing it. So yeah. you can always go back and listen to these or send a message to us and let us know what you think. Years in the future, Chris will still see it in the email or I'll see a Twitter, and a Twitter, a tweet, and a tweet. A tweet, a tweet. We can tweet. still talk about this. We just won't keep doing them. So take it easy, Fab Five. To quote Shula's Joe in Field of Dreams, you were good. I'm mixing baseball in there for some reason. I just want to say that they were good.